Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Um, this week, uh, we're starting on talking on some on prayer. And uh, uh, for those of you that like paper uh, devotionals. There's two of them available in the lobby. We will begin next week, actually, in our week of prayer and fasting, and that's when these begin. Uh, There's one that you can do with your family uh, right there, and then there's another one uh, uh, for adults uh, right there as well. So we're going to take some time to pray and to seek God over this next little while. Uh, We do that uh, every September, every January. We set aside time to pray and to fast uh, we've done it fast feasting and prayer as well. Some of participation level seems to go up on that one. I don't know. But uh, we really believe in the importance of prayer. It's our desire to be a people and a church of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a church with no prayer, not a church with some prayer, but a church of prayer. And it's, it's, it's calling us always out there, Jesus, further than we are. And I don't want to heap on anybody. We all know we could pray more. We all know all that stuff. We're just going to let that go and just allow Jesus to continue to draw us in to be people of prayer, a house of prayer. Because prayer is what shifts things. Prayer is what moves things. Prayer is what changes our families. Prayer is what breaks addictions. Prayer is what that, th- that accesses the power of God like a conduit. And so over the next couple of weeks, as we talk about it, I want, I'm praying that all of us will be inspired a little bit to engage a little bit more, maybe take a little bit more of a step than we are currently right now into prayer. Um, the Ephesians 6, is this is the scripture I want to ground us in these next uh, couple of weeks. Ephesians 6 and 18, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And so let's, we're going to read that together, all right? Okay, here we go. One, two, three. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul kind of underlines to the church in Ephesus the importance of prayer, and it has not changed. But he makes it accessible. All kinds of prayers, all the time, for everybody, basically that we would always carry an attitude of prayer. First Thessalonians says to pray without ceasing. We all have stuff that we're battling. Financial issues, some people have lost jobs, struggling, with addictions, maybe to pornography or to, uh, to a prescription drugs or other things, sexual dysfunction, comparison, weariness, relational tension, loneliness, to say nothing of the craziness of the world that's right uh, all around us right now. Maybe you're experiencing things in your family. And all of this can often lead to swirling thoughts of anxiety and fear and apathy, It can lead to things like anger or discouragement or depression. All of us affecting all of us at certain times, all of us at some time experience something that we struggle, we battle. If you're not battling, I would question if you're moving. 
But it's important that we pay attention to the reality of what we're battling because as we think, so are we. Because the battle can begin to shape your thinking. And if we're not careful and if we're not aware, it can shape us in how we think because as we think, so are we. That's what Jesus said. And sometimes we might even think or we might say, well, we've done all we could, so I guess we should pray. Have we ever said that before? Have we ever thought that before? But I would like us to consider in our desire to becoming a house of prayer that prayer would be our first response and not our last resort. Our first response and not our last resort. Praying in the spirit, that means praying in in your heavenly language. It also means praying in alignment with God on all kinds of situations, situations that you don't know how you're gonna get through, situations you need the wisdom of God on. I don't know your occasion, but it's one that needs prayer. All kinds of prayer, quiet prayer, loud prayer, silent prayer, prayer in the car, prayer in the street, prayer when you're going to bed, prayer when you're getting up, prayer when you're in the shower, all kinds of places for prayer. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We're praying not just for ourselves. We're praying for the person on our right and on our left. We're praying for people we don't know. We're praying over the city. We're praying over the nation. We're praying over the nations. Pray for our new king, King Charles III, as, he, as the Bible tells us to pray for those that are in authority, that they can govern well. We pray that God will continue to lead him and draw him to know him very, very closely and his family. But why is it important to pray? First Peter 5, 8 and 9, this is Peter, the apostle Peter writing to a, a church and he says this, be sober, be vigilant. Yes, it does mean that kind of sober, but it doesn't mean just that kind of sober. It means basically be level-headed, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That wasn't just a first century truth. It wasn't just a New Testament truth. It's a truth today, whether you know it or not or realize it or not, whether you're watching in Princeton or you're right here in Surrey or you're someplace in the world, the devil is going around. He's your adversary. He hates you. He wants to destroy you in every area of your life. So far, we're encouraged. But then it goes on to say in verse 9, resist him. Somebody say resist. Resist, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We have an adversary, he is roaring, he is seeking whom he may devour, destroy. He wants to destroy your family, he wants to destroy your life, he wants to destroy your potential, he wants to destroy the call of God on your life, he wants to rob you of your hope, he wants to steal your future, everything good in your life, he wants it gone. We have an adversary. And that, this scripture reminds us that we're not going to overemphasize the devil, looking for him under every bush and behind everything, but we're also not going to underemphasize him. Each of us must be sober, must be level-headed, must be vigilant at the work that the enemy might be seeking to do in us and around us. We must be alert to how we're doing individually. And pay attention to what's happening with me because that's often the very first level of where the battle is going on. 
the battle within us. And the more that we win the battle within, the more that we can engage in a battle for our city and for our nation and for the people around us. Notice it says we must resist the, the enemy, that this struggle is common to the whole world of people who are following God, that they are marked by the devil to be destroyed. So if you're in the battle, you're in good company. It's not you by yourself alone. There is a devil who hates you, but turn to the person inside you and you look at them. He hates them too. So we're in this together. And so we're going to learn together how to walk together to walk in a new way and walk through the warfare to come out well. John 10, 10 says that there's a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. John 8 and 44, the original fake news media mogul. When he, Satan, lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this is why prayer is important. You need to know the rules of engagement we need to know the rules of engagement because you're in a battle. We want to help you. There's a show that's been on, a reality TV show, Survivor, and it has three words. Outwit, outlast, outplay. It kind of carries almost my theology of engaging with the enemy. I'm going to outwit him, I'm going to outlast him, and I'm going to outplay him. By the power of Jesus. Now, don't, don't write that and say, I'm, my theology is from a TV show. I'm having a little fun, okay? 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Hosea 4 and 6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Ignorance or not knowing is an advantage that the enemy can use against you. What you don't know can hurt you. And too often we live ignorant or unaware of the reality that we have an enemy that hates us, that hates our family, that hates our purpose, that hates our church, that hates the church, that hates God's plan, that does not want to see it where it walked out. Because when the church and the people of God walk forward in what God has, it means people get saved. It means people get healed. It means cities begin to shift. It means that God moves. It means revival begins to happen, that addicts get free. And so the devil doesn't want any of that. So he will do whatever he can to keep us small. Be sober, be alert to what's going on with you and around you, because that's first where the battle is primarily at. Sometimes you might notice it physically, not able to rest or not able to eat, or there's illness in your physical body. Sometimes you might notice it emotionally when you battle with emotional struggles and, and worries and unresolved things and hurts and pains maybe for a long, long time. Sometimes it's spiritual where you just sense that there's opposition to you that's more than just what's normal, tormenting thoughts. And sometimes it's a combo of all three. Am I weary? Is it warfare? Is it both? I want you to turn in your Bibles to... If you have them on or a screen, first Corinthians, or first Kings, I should say, 19. We're going to read first seven verses of that in a moment. But before we read it, this is a story about a prophet called Elijah in the Old Testament over 3,000 years ago. Uh, he was prophesying to a nation that at that time had rejected God. They were worshiping idols. They were sacrificing their children, uh, throwing them into fires and drowning them, all kinds of things, in sacrifice to this false god. And 
Elijah had been a man that had stood and declared the word of God in the face of challenging circumstances. His, he lived his life on the run for three and a half years. He said, because you will not repent for three and a half years, there will be no rain. And there was no rain. And, he, and all through, and then he was, the king was looking for him and everything. And it finally came to a head in chapter 18, where the prophets of the false god met with the, Elijah as the prophet of God. And there was this great showdown and God showed up and showed himself strong on, on Elijah's behalf and made clear that he was the only God. And at the end of it all, um, in verse 46 of the previous chapter, it says, the power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead. So the power of God was on him. He had just prayed that it would rain and it began to rain and it rained crazy amounts. And so he knew how to pray. He knew how to pray to stop rain. He knew how to pray to start rain. He knew how to pray to see people raised from the dead. And then we come to this situation in chapter 19. And Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, who was the queen, all that Elijah had done, how he had defeated the prophets of Baal, how he had ordered them to be uh, killed, and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. I don't know why it's called a broom tree, but it's a funny name. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake or some bread baked on coals and a jar of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. In spite of the incredible moments that he had experienced and seeing God move, Jezebel sent these threatening words and it unleashes thoughts in him. But more than that, it says when, the, when he saw that, he didn't see anything. He didn't get a video message from her. She didn't FaceTime him. He heard something and his mind began to create a future that was negative and that was, I'm going to die. He heard it, and he began to envision a future that was terrible based on the words that somebody had said to him. It wasn't necessarily going to happen. He, he didn't get God's perspective on it, but he began to envision a future, and it caused him to forget that just a day before, he had seen God answer in fire. He had seen God start the rain to flow. He had seen God do miracles. But in that moment, somehow, he heard it, envisioned a future, and ran for his life. We are never more vulnerable than after our greatest victories. We sometimes think that that's the time that I can take it easy. But sometimes when you've gone through a great victory, we can be very vulnerable because we've gone through a season of pouring out that makes, the, that makes it you vulnerable. Exhausting seasons also of challenge after challenge could make you vulnerable. Weariness can overcome your willingness. And when the thoughts begin to run and they, he began to create a future in his mind that's not real or necessarily true, the man who had ex escaped time after time 
Three and a half years, the enemy trying to kill him. There were soldiers hunting for him. But for some reason, this time, his weariness overcame his willingness, and he arose and ran for his life. Sometimes the battle, that's all you feel like you can do. And some signs that you might be more than just weary, it might be weary, it might be a warfare, or it might be bold, but I want to show some signs of spiritual battle that Elijah shows us. The first is intense anxiety. Some sociologists have called this the age of anxiety. People, many of us, in the room and online, fighting back anxiety. And it's not just a symptom of social media. It is part of that. Some people, it's just low grade all the time. Some people, it's disturbing their sleep at night. Second is isolationism. He left his closest confidant, confidant, I should say, confidant. It says he left his servant there, the guy who was right by his side. He said, I'm, I'm leaving you. And it's not talking about a time of solitude, which can be healthy for you at times to take some time away as Jesus did and prayed. It was isolationism. Third is unusual physical fatigue. He slept and then he slept again. It's often a sign that it's more than going on than just a simple thing that you got to overcome, that there may be a battle that you're going through, a spiritual battle that's the enemy of your soul against you. And finally, discouragement or depression. He prayed that he might die. That's in a terrible spot to be in. It was not just environmental or physical issue. The enemy desires to steal, kill, and destroy. Discouragement, though, is often the greatest when the breakthrough is the closest. Discouraged. This means to be apart from or to be asunder from or away from. So you discourage, you, you get away from. There's space between you and the courage to do what God's called you to do. You, there's a space that gets in there that you lose courage to face tomorrow. There's a space that gets in there where your courage is gone and you do what Elijah did and run. We can find, lose the courage to face the enemy, the issue, the battle. In this, be sober, be vigilant. Weary, warfare, bold, I don't know. But when we are facing a battle, Christ followers can go in with a certain mindset. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 54 and 17, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, it might feel like you're, you're done. But I stand, and I've had to do this many times, no weapon that the enemy has against me is going to win the day. The end's not over. I'm not done. You're not a victim. You, are, you can win. You can overcome through Jesus. Romans 8 reminds us of this when Paul wrote this. He said, who shall, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sore or peril? And he dropped down to verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm not in it alone. You're not in it alone. You're not by yourself in the fight, in the, in the warfare, in the weariness. 
not just hanging on, I'm not going down, that we would say that there's a God who loves me, there's a God who's for me, there's a God who's fighting on my behalf, there's a God who's in the battle with me, there's a God who's walking with me through every dark valley, there's a God who's fighting for my son, there's a God who's fighting for my daughter, there's a God who's fighting for my city, there's a God who's fighting for Princeton, there's a God who's in it with you, us. But what was going on with Elijah? He had prayed powerful prayers that time. Stopping the rain, that's a fairly significant prayer life. It's gonna rain today, boom, it rains. He had raised a son of, of a, a lady that he had been working with, had raised, her, had raised him back to life. He had seen fire fall from heaven. He had seen God move in powerful ways. Yet, he was discouraged enough to run. I'm encouraged by that. Because it doesn't mean that I have to have it all together all the time. I can see even men of God in the scriptures that, wow, he, he knew how to pray, but his prayer that day, he was not feeling it. But it reminds all of us that God moved in the past. God moved in your life before. God's done it for you before. There's been miracles in your life before. You have seen him move. You have seen him heal. You have seen him deliver. And we must remind ourselves again and again and again. And in the times when I feel it the least is the time when I need to remind myself the most. I saw God come with fire. I saw God come to provide for our family. I saw God heal me in my brain. I saw God deliver me from anxiety. Anxiety, whatever it would be. And his prayer this day, though, was he prayed that he might die. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer some of our silly prayers? See, the goal of the enemy is always to steal your destiny, to rob you of your purpose, to stop the church of God from advancing, to kill all hope, to kill every bit of faith, to destroy you, the call of God on your life your family, everything that's dear to you. And when we're under pressure, when we're struggling to find our way, when we hear the judgmental words, when we're in the thick of the battle for our future, the enemy wants us to do what Elijah was tempted to do right there. Lay down and die. Just give up. Just stop. Don't believe God. He doesn't see you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't know what's going on. If he cared, would he really allow that to happen in your life? You'll never amount to anything. You're never going to overcome the abuse of your past. You think you can overcome that? You haven't done it yet. You're not going to do it. And all designed to send the message, to keep us small, to keep us believing God, to keep us from moving forward, to cause us to literally or figuratively lay down and die. I quit. I'm done. But God sends a different word. The enemy said, lay down and die. And God sent a message to say, arise and live. Arise and eat. See, the enemy is always about destroying your future, but God is always about building your future. So wherever we're at, I know whose side I want to be in, in the picture. I'm looking to God to say, God, how would you 
build my future? How would you build our future? How would you do this in my life? Because you are not done until God says you're done. Is this a physical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Is it a spiritual thing? Doesn't really matter. Be sober and be vigilant. The rest of the story shows us or the five keys that can help you, whether it's weariness or warfare, how do you fight back? How do you fight back? Number one, arise, get back up. And sometimes getting back up doesn't mean you just get up. Everything's good. It might mean that tomorrow you get out of bed and get moving. It might mean tomorrow that instead of sliding into negativity that you grab yourself one time and say, no, I'm not going to go there. No. Arise and shine, Isaiah 60 says. Your light has come. Take a step. Do something to move ahead, even if it's small. Your participation is always required for your restoration. God always says, I'll do it, but I need you to get up. I'll empower you, but I need you to move. I'll gift you, but I need you to speak. The righteous can be confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What God starts, he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. And sometimes we just got to get up and tell the devil, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know how, I don't know when, I can't see my way forward, but I know God is not bailing on me right now. Get up and look myself in the mirror and say, God is for me, then who can be against me? Get up and say, it's not over until God says it's over. Get up and remind myself that what the enemy intended for evil, God can turn around for good. Get up and say, I'm going to move beyond that failure, and with the help of God, I'm going to move forward into all that God has for me. Sometimes you just need to arise and get up. And just say, God, help me to take a step and move forward in all that you have called me to do. Arise and eat. Number two, your diet determines your destiny. I'm not talking about your physical diet, although that probably if you, is something to say there too. It's maybe true in the natural, but sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is have a snack and take a nap. It's true. If you've ever had, as uh, we have a little grandchild around again, and it reminds me, what is going on? She's so cranky. She's normally so happy and everything. Oh, she missed her nap. And she needs a cookie. That's grandparent interpretation. She needs a cookie. Solves a lot of things. But Spurgeon said this, the great theologian said, these things of a snack and a nap may be the very first elements in really helping a poor, depressed servant of God. Don't underestimate the power of a good diet and a healthy welcome. But in addition to that, eat your way out of fear, anxiety, discouragement, and depression. Some of you are wondering, the two liter of ice cream? The family size pack of chips? Not what I'm talking about. You are a spirit that has a soul and lives in a body 
and you live from the inside out. Your spirit man, your spirit person on the inside of you needs to be strengthened. And Jesus told us how we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we need to be in the word of God. We need to be in times of prayer to hear God. We need to hear his word, not the word of Jezebel, but the word of God. Get into the word, set aside time. That's what we're calling us to do as we step into a time of prayer and fasting is to go after God. Arise and eat and drink. Said there was a thing of water there for Elijah as well. When you're dehydrated, when you notice it, they say you've already been dehydrated for some time in our physical body, but also in our spiritual, in our spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says to be filled with the spirit. The word filled means to be filled and keep on being filled. I might... Many years ago, a mentor of ours said, you need to pray in, in your, your spiritual language, Greg, like at least 30 minutes a day. Just do it. At least. And I was like, oh, okay. She's going to help your life. And the reality of praying in the spirit, of the release of the Holy Spirit in your spiritual language, but also just in every area of your life, praying and God, release the gifts of your spirit in me. Uh, spirit of God, may I, may I have the fruit of the spirit in my life. Ask for a release. Holy Spirit, empower me. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. Come, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my day. I need you. The old song when I was growing up, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Arise and eat and drink and reset your perspective. Story goes on to say, they sent, the angel said, now go. And, and Elijah went for 40 days further into the wilderness and went to the Mount of God. And it, then he went up into this cave. And it, um, some feel that this is the cave that Moses went into when he saw God, but on that same mountain. Elijah went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I think he's going to give God some feedback. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, he didn't say anything much except this. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then there came a wind. God wasn't in the wind. A great wind. There was an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire. But God wasn't in the fire. There was a still small voice. And the voice said again, what are you doing here? Elijah thought, well, I tried it once. I'll say it again. Basically said the same thing. I've done all you've asked, and it hasn't worked. You ever been there? Where you felt, I've done everything you've asked of me, God, and I'm still in a spot that I never dreamed I would be in. I'm in a struggle that I don't even know what to do. It's, I thought it would be finished by now. Weary, warfare, And the small, still small voice came. And immediately, 
God gives him a fresh assignment. The man who said, not only do I think I'm done, I want to die. I don't want to go on. God gives him an assignment to do two more things. You're not done until God says you're done. So I want you to anoint this man, and I want you to anoint this man. And then in verse 18, he heard one, almost like an afterthought. God says, oh, by the way, you're not alone. There's still 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. The accuser, the doubters, the rejecters, the enemy does not have the final say. Get a word from God, not from Jezebel. Don't let Satan's confusion lead you to a wrong conclusion. Don't let Satan's confusion lead you to a wrong conclusion. See, Satan threw in there through Jezebel, I'm going to kill you, you're done, it's over. But God said, no, you're not done. God says you're not done. You can't stop until God says you can stop. You don't lay down on that dream. You don't give up on God's promise. You get up off the mat and you step in and say, I'm going to rise. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to reset my perspective. And the final thing, because I think this would be part of it, is don't tolerate long-term discouragement. We all have blues days probably. Days where you're just like, ah, and you shake it off and you get on with it. You pray your way through it. But sometimes there's something that just goes on for some time. Can I encourage you to not stay there? We can hurt so bad that we can reach for things that we wouldn't normally reach for. Thoughts can come that we would not normally think. Like Elijah, I want to die. And I don't want to just be trite with this, but if it lingers, get to a pastor, get to a doctor, get to a counselor, talk to a friend, get to the prayer line, prayer at horizonchurch.ca, get to the times of fasting and prayer and say, God, I'm going to do whatever it takes with your help to see it broken in me and over me. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.